Look at you guys. I harp and harp and harp every time I do announcements about the three minutes. And then when it's my Sunday to preach, I don't follow my three-minute rule. I'm, well, thank you all for being in here. I'm so proud of you guys. Awesome job. Well, hey, uh, good morning. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, let me just say I'm so glad to have you here with us and that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And um, if this is your first Sunday, my name is Travis Hall. I'm one of the, the deacons here at Highland Gospel Community. And we're going to be in Mark 12 this morning. We've been in Mark now since January. And we're going to be taking, this is our last Sunday in Mark until I believe January. We're going to be starting our Advent series next Sunday. And we're going to we're going to continue with Mark in January until I think just around Easter. So we've got a lot more time in Mark. And to me, this has just been a fantastic book. So this morning, I'm going to start a little differently than I normally would. I'm going to start with reading a short paragraph from a book that I read recently. It's called Basics for Believers by Dr. D.A. Carson. Um, by the way, if you're ever looking for someone to, to read, to, to listen to sermons from, I highly recommend Dr. Carson. He's been a, a huge blessing for me personally. So I should preface this morning that before I read this, this the foreword that I'm going to read is extremely tongue-in-cheek. And now someone recently asked me, well, what does tongue-in-cheek mean? Sarcastic. Um, which if you know me, you know that's my love language. And so uh, any, I, I speak fluent sarcasm. So this, this foreword just resonated right away with me. So here we go. I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. So none of us would be so offensive as to say it that way, but I would be lying if I said that those kind of thoughts never crept in and, and entered my mind, because if I'm honest, they do. See, the thing is, is what I want is I want a comfortable Jesus. I want to follow a Jesus who is comforting, but not challenging. I want to, to follow a Jesus who is just not who, who is just not out for my good, but for what I think is good as well. See, I want to follow a Jesus who does radical things for me, but does not ask radical things of me. And here's the thing. I don't think I'm alone in that. See, we, we can all want uncomfortable Jesus, but Mark here has introduced us to a Jesus on his terms, not ours. See, Mark has introduced us to this man from Galilee 
who gives more than we could imagine and asks more than we can expect. See, this Jesus that we meet here in Mark is anything but comfortable. And today we get to see him again, we get to hear him again, and we are going to take this Jesus on his terms. See, see Jesus is not just a, a man to observe, to watch, to marvel at, or learn from. See, this Jesus is unique. He is a man that everyone must respond to. The story of his life, the story of Jesus' life is this. It's, it's news, it's good news that we all must respond to. See, we go back to Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And today we have another chance to respond to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, we, we all need to respond to Jesus. See, us as Christians, us as believers, we respond by continuing to follow him. Others who are, who are not Christians, at some point, they have to respond by starting to follow him. So this morning, my question for you is this. How will you respond? See, he, he makes us an offer, but his offer is an offer of life. It is not of comfort. So our, our big idea for today is, is, is a really simple one. Don't hold anything back. Again, we go to the temple, we're going to take our place beside Jesus, and he's going to let us borrow his eyes this morning, and we're going to see something that we would have never noticed if we were there. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Mark 12, we're going to be in verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that, that we would be people who, who hold nothing back from you, that we give you all that we have, just as you gave us all that you had on the cross, as you died for our sin, as you died for our shame. Lord, I pray this morning that, that you would direct the words of my heart, that you would be the one speaking through me, because, Lord, your words bring life. And, Lord, I pray that that hearts would be encouraged where they need to be encouraged this morning, but I also pray that hearts would be convicted if need be. Lord, it, you are the reason that we gather this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see in this is we see what Jesus saw. So after an exhausting day, and, and, and we've been working our way through Mark 12, we've seen the different things that's been happening. He's been spending his time arguing and rebuking the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the scribes. They all took their turns and they all got rebuked. So now Jesus comes into the temple and he sits down. And Jesus chooses a seat 
across from what Mark has called the treasury. And, and we need, so, so I want us this morning to, to kind of take this scene in so that we can see through the eyes of Jesus. So, so we're with Jesus in the temple, and, and it would have been probably the most crowded place for about a thousand miles. The temple court would be swarming with people that are coming in for the Passover celebration. So my mind immediately goes to the mall at Christmas time, which to me is the worst. Um, and it's really not Fort Wayne people that are swarming in. It's the out-of-towners, which I feel bad saying. But, but my point is it's congested. There's so many people that you, that it's, it's just insanity. So, so the normal population of Jerusalem was around 50,000 people. So just to give you some context, Fort Wayne is, is 250,000 plus. Just to, just to give you some context there. At Passover time, pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, causing that population to jump up to 200, around 250,000 people. So again, about the same as the Fort, our Fort Wayne population. So if we were there in the temple that day, we would have probably thought that all 250,000 people were there. So these pilgrims, are, they're, they're making this trip in. Um, they, they, would, they would come to the temple not only to purchase their sacrifice, but also to give money. So some paid the temple tax, while others gave a free will offering. So, so whatever the case, there is big money flowing into the temple as Jesus sits down. And, and one of the things I, I found interesting and noteworthy as I was studying this was the way in which the people gave. So they had these, they had 13, um, uh, 13 inverted brass shofar horns, shaped horns. And I really wish I would have found a picture to show you guys. These things are, these things are pretty cool. But so when, when they would drop these in, they would go through that shofar trumpet and they would go into a container and they're just... I would have to imagine just clanging and banging and crashing through. So, so the more money people gave, I'm sure it was a louder noise. Because we have to remember, at this point in history, there's no paper money. Like, people aren't dropping in a J Jackson or a Franklin. Like, this is like legitimately making it rain money. Because, like, you know, when it rains, you hear it, on the, you hear it clanging on the roof. Like, this is, this is just clanging and clanging. But then we look at verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. But, where we, but what we see next is someone does something that no one else sees except Jesus. And if we, we were there, I, I'm sure that we'd be caught up in the spectacle of the Passover celebration and we would completely miss the person that Jesus sees. But what Jesus does is he loans his eyes to Mark, and we get to see her too. Look at verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So th this, this nameless widow drops in two copper coins into the offering box. Two coins that make a penny. We just have one coin that makes a penny. So these two coins make a penny. So th this coin probably was the most smallest coin in circulation at that time. And we don't have much context on the widow. We don't know if she had other mouths to feed beside her own. We don't know if she had children or parents to provide for. We don't even know how really she made a living. 
In other words, the, the only way this gift could have been more insignificant is if the widow dropped one coin into that container. And see, it's not a stretch to say that it's, it's the most insignificant gift of that day. See, the, the temple's accountants may have ignored the widow's offering. And to, and to them, her gift was less than a rounding error. But what the accountants may have missed, our Savior did not. See, he sees what no one else did, and he also says something that no one else could. See, this quiet act of devotion was completely unnoticed by all the important wealthy people that day. It was missed by everyone, but the most, the single most important person in the universe, Jesus. See, no act of devotion, no matter how small, is missed by Jesus, not with the widow, and by the way, not with you either. See, he doesn't miss those small acts of devotion. And the disciples, they they didn't see what she did. And if they did, they probably wouldn't understand the significance. So Jesus calls them in. Jesus is going to explain this in verse 43. And he called his disciples to him and said said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Did you, did you catch that? Jesus says she gave more because he's measuring something more than money. Let's just look at that again. The poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. Not just more than the others, but more than all those others combined. See, everything I'm sure about this widow, this widow shouted less. Her appearance was probably less. Her offering, less. Probably her social standing, less. But Jesus, this is so good. This is, this is why Jesus is Jesus. But Jesus said more. See, Jesus has a different value system than we do. His economy works differently. He values things different than we do. So, so how are a couple copper coins worth more, are more valuable than, than all the flowing gold and silver? Well, Jesus is going to explain that. Pick it up in verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So, so what does this mean? James Edwards summed it up perfectly. In the temple, others gave what they could spare, but the poor widow spared nothing. So I love the ESV translation. And by the way, if you're here for prayer this morning, this is just kind of funny. But this is one of the few places where I think the ESV obscures the meaning just a bit of the translation. So where the translator says, she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on, literally should be rendered, she out of her poverty has put in everything she had her whole life. Now, now, now Jesus doesn't mean as she gave her meager gifts, she died. What, it, what he means is she held nothing back. She gave all that she had. 
She put in everything that she had her whole life. See, the reason she gave more than all the rest is because she did not hold back. This poor widow was devoted to the Lord. In giving those measly copper coins, she is saying with her actions, All I have is yours. All I am is yours. My future is in your hands, Lord. So, so if you read ahead, if, you, if, you, if you've read this section of Scripture this week, you probably thought this morning's focus was going to be all about money. So, so at this point, some of you are probably expecting, as we've worked our way, that we're going to take a turn and we're going to talk about giving and tithing. But see, there's more here than just money. She held nothing back. This anonymous widow gave her whole life. She expressed complete devotion by giving all that she had to the Lord. See, this this passage is not so much about money as much as completely devoting ourselves to the Lord. We must hold nothing back. As courageous, as, as, as amazing as this widow's action was, the point is not going to be like the widow. See, see we're, we're, not, we're, we're not supposed to, don't feel like you're supposed to empty your bank account and, and, and give up everything and become destitute. Don't worry, we're not going to go over here to a poverty gospel. But what, what it's saying is, is we have to take another step. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus and what he says and what he does. And wh- the way we do that is we get to know the Savior, See, in this story, Jesus is the most vital person. Our eyes eyes are not to stay on the widow, but to stay on the Savior. See, the widow metaphorically put in her whole life. The Savior put in his whole life for keeps. She gave everything she had. The Savior gave up everything he was. She gave from her poverty. The Savior impoverished himself. She had two coins and held nothing back. The Savior, the Savior, Jesus had all things and held nothing back. See, the, 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 bigger, the biggest giver in this episode is Jesus. The most generous person in this episode that we're looking at today is Jesus. See, no one really understands it yet, but Jesus is about to give everything, his entire life. So in the context of where we are in Mark 12, this is a Tuesday. Jesus will be arrested on a Thursday and die on Friday. A mere 48 hours from this conversation Jesus will be arrested and tried, beaten, crucified, and die. He held nothing back, not even his whole life. See, like the widow, no no one at the time of, of his death could rightly perceive what was happening, what was taking place. It, appeared, it just appeared that Jesus was caught in this whirlpool of chaotic events being pursued by evil people. 
But see, throughout Mark, Jesus has been clear. Jesus was clear that he came for the sole purpose of dying. When Jesus and the 12 disciples started this journey to Jerusalem, Jesus told them how this was all going to end. Because Jesus gave away spoilers. Like, I would never want to go see a movie with Jesus because he'd be like, hey, and, and by the way, uh, this person dies. Like, he'd just give it away. Because check it out in Mark 10. So we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. See, Jesus came to give. He came to give and hold nothing back. Again, not even his own life. He came to give it to you and to me. But let's stop and think. Like, let's stop and really look at the generosity of Jesus. So mankind has rebelled against God. Mankind has, has, has shaken its collective fist at God. Mankind has, in, in its own ways, tried to take the place of God. And, and, and at times pretended there was no God. Like, this happened then, and it's sure as heck happening now. But see, to those people, Jesus generously gave himself. Even the disciples, his best friends on earth, they ran from him when his hour of tribulation came. They ran from the one who came for them. And to those people, he generously gave himself. See, Jesus came and held nothing back for people who didn't deserve it. People who were not looking for him, people who do not care about him. The widow held nothing back and people were indifferent. Jesus held nothing back and they hated him for it. And to those people, he gave himself generously. So what should our response be to generosity like this? To give ourselves to Jesus and hold nothing back. It's at points like this where we have to face the reality that Jesus is so worth it. And we must understand that we must not hold anything back. In the light of his extremely grand generosity, we are to give ourselves to him without holding back. So my question for you this morning is, are you? Are you holding back? See, we, we can think that when we hold something back, something of ourselves back, that, that we are protecting ourselves from disappointment, distress, being disillusioned. And when we do that, we recast Jesus in who we want him to be and not who he really is. We hold ourselves back and we subtly remake Jesus in our own image our own very poor image. We, we reason that Jesus doesn't want us to sacrifice too much, and then we start to hold a little bit of ourselves back. We, we, we reason, we say things like, well, well listen, G Jesus doesn't want me to be that radical with my faith, that unwavering in my faith, that bold with my faith. 
We, we, we say things like, well, I, Jesus wouldn't want me to sacrifice that much time for others. Oh, he, he can't mean that I have to be that generous with my money because that's my money. I work to earn that money. And we just hold a little bit of ourselves back. And we subtly remake Jesus in our own very, very poor image. The real Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that we see throughout Mark, throughout all the Gospels, the real Jesus of the Bible becomes the Jesus I want. By the way, I am preaching to myself this morning because I see this struggle in myself. See, the Jesus I want is so easy to follow because following my Jesus always makes me happy and he never makes me feel uncomfortable. Following my Jesus does not mean that I have to hate covetousness, greed, lust, or self-centeredness. Following the Jesus I want does not mean that I have to love my enemies, esteem self-denial, and, and give my life away for the good of others. The Jesus I follow, and I've talked about how I struggle with wanting to be known by man. See, the Jesus I want to follow makes me more popular, not less. The Jesus I follow is present enough to make me and Kara secure. But he's not so present that we find our goals redirected or our standard of living greatly changed. See, the Jesus I want is easy to follow. But that's not the Jesus that we have here in Mark. And I cannot tell you what it looks like for you personally to follow Jesus and not hold anything back. I cannot tell you what that means for you in your daily life. So what you have to do is you have to ask yourself and pray and ask the Lord, what does this look like for me? However, I have, I have a challenge for us as a church family. A, a call to actions of sorts for us this morning. So I can imagine that when the widow took her money and dropped it into the offering box, I can imagine that she was afraid. So what if each of us did one thing this December that makes us afraid, that makes you afraid? And I'm not talking about selling all your possessions and jumping on a plane and, and heading to a third world country. However, the Lord may be asking some of you to sell all your possessions, hop on a plane, and go do missions in a third world country. But what, I'm talk but what I'm talking about is something in your daily life. What if this month we did one thing for Jesus that makes us afraid? One thing that makes you afraid. Nothing foolish, not an irresponsible action, I mean something that, that, that takes you out of your comfort zone. Something that takes us all out of our comfort zones and causes us to trust the Lord in ways that we haven't in a while. Something hard, something out of the ordinary, something uncomfortable. So we're all different in this room. I think we kind of all know that, that we're all different. So different things are going to cause each of us to be afraid. And, and you might think, you know, I don't have much to offer and the Lord doesn't need my contribution. You're totally right. He doesn't. 
He does not need your time, talent, and treasures. As some people like to, may, may like to mislead you and say, oh, the Lord needs you. No, he doesn't. But you need to sacrifice them for Jesus. So, what is one thing that makes you afraid? Again, don't, don't, think, don't think extravagant grand gestures. Think daily, daily decisions of extravagant devotion. By the way, what, what makes you afraid and puts you in a position of need at the mercy of Jesus is going to be different than others. Your one thing will be different from the person sitting next to you. Your one thing will probably be different than it is for your spouse. So you can't expect someone to do the same thing that you're doing. So what might that look like? What might that look like for you personally? Maybe for some of you, it is really opening yourselves up to, a, to someone in this room and, and talking about the things that you struggle with, talking about where you need help, where you're hurting, how they can pray for you. And speaking of prayer, how about we sacrifice some time for prayer? How about setting aside time in the morning for prayer? Better yet, waking up a little bit earlier and coming in on a Sunday morning for 9.15 a.m. prayer. Man, I understand, parents, that it is a challenge to get your kids up. And I will just say this, I don't know that challenge at this point in my life. But what I do know as a kid is someone who has learned good things and bad things from his parents. How amazing would it be for your kids to see the value of prayer, to see the value of corporate prayer? We have so much to pray for. This has become so... Prayer has become so alive for me the last few months. Pastor Nate is one of my best friends in this world. When he was going through his struggles, I have never seen more of a dependency for myself to pray. We see what the kennels are going through. We need to pray for that. We need to make time to pray for that. It is so vital that we pray for not only what's going on in our own lives, but we pray for one another. You know, another challenge I have for you is maybe for some of you, it's joining a community group. Maybe it's opening yourself up to messy, imperfect people. Man, I love my community group. We talk about being a family. Monday nights at Mike Taylor's house, we're a family. Man, I love everyone in my group. And you know, Monday, I'm still thinking about Monday's group. We're supposed to study Mark, but you know what? We spent the entire night just talking about how we can love people in this culture in 2019. It was so good. It made my heart happy to have these hard discussions. By the way, we don't all agree on everything. But we have, we have conversation and we can, dis, we can agree to disagree in a, in a way that is edifying, that is good. Now, some of you this morning, this text is about giving. Maybe some of you need to start giving to the mission of the gospel here at Highland Gospel Community. And I will say this about giving. We see the command to give all throughout Scripture. We go back to Acts 4 to the early church. 
They would sell things to help meet the needs of others, to help meet the needs of the church. Because the entire church gives according to the means so the entire church can meet the needs of the entire church. Did you get that? Probably not. It's a, it's a bit of a... Again, the entire church gives according to their means so the entire church can meet the needs of the entire church. We see this in three ways. We see it from Malachi 3, that, that we have to pay bills and, and there's just things that we have to buy. Listen, we have lights on this morning. You know why we have lights on? Because we got to pay an electricity bill, and we're able to pay that. Through your tithes and offering, we're able to pay our bills. We take care of our staff and our staff elder. We pay Nate and Stephen and Chelsea livable wages so that they can advance the mission of the gospel. We have an incredible staff team. We are incredibly blessed for a church our size to have three full-time staff people. We also... We have a fund set aside to meet the needs for those of you who need financial help. It's called benevolence. We see that in Acts 6. And, to, and by the way, I would really encourage you to, to stick around for the family meeting. And I've had some people who are like, man, you're really selling the family meeting on this budget. I am, because budgets are so important, because guess what you get to see in this family meeting? You get to see how those dollars that you give are being spent. So some of you are probably going to say this morning, well, I don't make enough to give. Yes, you do. Remember what we've talked about all this morning. It's not about the amount. It's all about the sacrifice. Well, well, I, I couldn't afford to give. Yes, you can. 90% of your income with God is better than 100%. So my encouragement, my challenge to you is just simple. Some of you need to repent and start following through with giving. Giving regularly, generously, and sacrificially. I love this quote from Randy Alcorn. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. That's my prayer for you guys, is to become more like Christ. And if giving more helps you become more like Christ, come on, let's give. Let's advance the mission of the gospel at this local church. If you call this home, if you consider yourself part of the family, you should be giving. One more thing that might make you afraid. One more thing that, that might be your one thing this month. Talking about Jesus with unsaved friends talking about Jesus with unsaved family. Now, some of you, and I mean this as nicely as I can, some of you just need to start by making friends with unsaved people. Like, I think we sometimes, we put ourselves in our Christian bubble and we don't get out of it. I'm guilty of that, by the way. But see, when we begin to show them the, the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, when we just share Jesus with them, Maybe we invite them to church. Here's the thing. You will never know the ripple effect that you'll have when you share Jesus with one person. You will never know the ripple effect. Let me, let me just share with you a story I heard once about how this can play out. About 13 years ago, a young girl, unmarried, finds herself pregnant. She's about 20 years old. She's in college at IPFW. She goes to the doctor. She's, she's not even sure if she's going to keep the baby. 
because she's 20 years old and her whole, she thinks her whole life is, is in front of her, all that. She meets a nurse who just starts talking to her about Jesus. She invites her to church. So this young girl goes to church. Lo and behold, she gets saved. She goes to the baby's father and says, hey, I want, I'm going to keep this baby. I really want you to be a part of this kid's life. Fast forward a couple months, father-to-be gets saved. Father-to-be has a brother that he loves very much, and he wants to see that brother saved. So the father-to-be starts talking about Jesus with his brother. And his brother really wants nothing to do with church and organized religion because he's seen it poorly modeled, to be quite honest. But that brother's life hits rock bottom, and that father-to-be invites that brother to church. About a month later, that brother gets saved. Now, that couple today in 2019 have two sons who love Jesus. They love Jesus. And they have, they've had a hard season of those 13 years, but the Lord has remained faithful to them. They also have a daughter that they adopted recently from China who inevitably will end up loving Jesus. The brother, however, is probably the most lucky of them all. Because now he is surrounded with men who challenge him every day. Who push him to to be more like Christ every day. And he has a wife who, she does little things like leave him post-it notes because he's, he's an emotional wreck about preaching this morning. See, that act of devotion not only changed that family's life, but it changed my life. Because she took the time to talk about Jesus with this girl who was scared. Who did not know what her life was going to be. But it's so much more now. The last 13 years have been incredible. Because of that one act of devotion. So what is your one thing this month? Worship team, you can come back up. See, some of you might think that, that, that none of that stuff sounds very hard or, or that it will make much a difference, and you have it so backwards. See, our efforts might be small and poor, but he measures our sacrifice. Like the widow, it's not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. Remember, just remember that Jesus does not measure the amount of the gift but he measures the sacrifice. See, see Jesus, Jesus didn't say to the woman, well, you should have given a little bit more. No, Mark tells us she gave all that she had. He doesn't say, well, that, that's only two coins you gave. That's good, good for you. No, he said she put her faith and her trust solely in him. It's not about the amount, it's a sacrifice. And by the way, his eyes are on you and he is watching. His gaze is upon you to bless you. He is eager, he is so eager to celebrate those small and seemingly insignificant sparks of devotion. The eyes of Jesus are on you. And he is watching you, ready to call angels to his side and say, hey look, She isn't preoccupied with useless things. She's having coffee with an unsaved neighbor. She's sharing Jesus with an unsaved neighbor. Neighbor, She's giving out of her poverty and holding nothing back. Look at him. 
He's making time for prayer so, he can, so that the Lord can lead him in how to lead his family, how to love his brothers. He is giving out of his poverty and is holding nothing back. Man, Jesus has given us so much. He's given up everything for us. He's given us the greatest gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternity with him. Our response is to give ourselves without reservation back to him. So, what is your one thing for December? You have to ask the Lord that, but here's what I know. You guys are going to do great. And I believe in you guys. You guys are going to do so good at this if you put yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'd be so foolish to think that everyone in this room is a believer. I can tell you without a doubt what the one thing you can do this morning is. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to say, look, here's the gospel in the most simplest of forms. That, that God created, a, created the world, a loving ruler who we would want to be ruled by. That is who God is. That is who our Lord is. But we rebelled against him. And all of us are sinners by birth and by actions. And because of that, we deserve death. But see, God doesn't leave it at that. Even though we are stuck in our sin and can do nothing about it, God loving us so much becomes a man. Lives a life that we couldn't live and died on the cross for our sin and our shame. And on the third day, he rose again and he conquered death. And that if we simply believe in him, we are saved. Jesus is the realest of reals. He's the real deal. And giving your life to him this morning is the single most important thing that you will ever do. I can tell you this, your life will never be the same. 13 years ago, it changed my life pretty, pretty, pretty well. You will live a life of joy. You will live a life of freedom. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would put these things on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give, give each of us in this room individually and corporately a desire to take a chance, to take risks for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray for those here who aren't following you. I pray that they would give themselves completely to you, that they might know what it is to follow you, that they would look to you alone for salvation. Lord, your son died so that they might live, and I pray that they would understand that. Jesus, we thank you for being so generous. We thank you for being so kind and so giving for giving up everything for us. Lord, I pray that you would move not only in power in our, in our individual lives, but you would move in a powerful way through our church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.